So last week, I reported to you that we have the opportunity to purchase land right where we need to be in our city, but it would require us coming up with $250,000 in commitments in the next 60 days, and then $210,000 in commitments and pledges to come in within 12 months. Um, praise God, things have been moving forward. I wanted to report to you, uh, we, we need $90,000 more in commitments to get to closing. All right, so within the next 60 days, we need $90,000 more in commitments, and then we still need some work on the pledges for the 12 months, but we're, we're, we're moving. Like, I mean, that, like, that is incredible. That is awesome. Yeah, you can clap. That's okay. I know some of you guys are like, should I? Yes, yes, um, celebrate. As God moves on your heart about that, about participating and giving, uh, just follow through. He, he's going he's gonna to show himself faithful to you, and he's going to provide um, and build a legacy that we get to be a part of. Um, I wonder if you've felt any part of this equation that I'm about to describe, because I know that I've felt it quite a bit. You've gotten into a conversation with somebody about church stuff, and they're here in the area, and they're like, yeah, I'm looking for a church. And you're like, oh, I love my church. The music is amazing. The people are great. The pastor is tolerable. You should totally come check it out. And they're like, okay, I'll do that. I'll come check it out. And they say, okay, well, where's your church building? And they're like, well, that takes a little explanation. Normally, we meet at a school, and they start to get an expression on their face, like, okay, you're part of a cult, um, because what church meets in a high school, that's just weird, and some, some of you guys are laughing because you felt trying to explain it. Some of you are laughing because, yeah, I felt that way when someone's inviting me. And you're like, no, we normally meet at a school, um, but we are at this church or this church or at a CrossFit or somewhere else. Like, we're moving around, and, and it's a great experience. Even though we're there, we make the best of it. Afterwards, there's always, you know, something to drink, and they're like, is it Kool-Aid? And you're like, no, it's not Kool-Aid. It's not a cult. It's an actual church. It's going to be encouraged. It's going to be good. And it's like this hurt that you almost have to get over. And it's one of the things that we, we recognize as God opens the door. It's just going to make it a, a little bit easier for us to have more influence and impact, to be able to bring the gospel into more people's lives. And the thing that I always want to reaffirm to you, we are not buying land and building a church to make ourselves more comfortable. We are we are going to pursue these things because it's going to allow us to bring the gospel to more people in our city. Amen? That's what we're about. If we have a building, the objective is that it's going to be used all week long to bless our city, not just for our comfort on Sunday morning. That's not what we're about. And as I talk about giving and the opportunity today, I first of all want to tell you, next week we're on to a normal series. And I'll update you about the status of giving but we're not going to be like in some sort of perpetual giving campaign until the funds come in. If the funds come, don't come in, then this must not be the time. Um, but I believe that it is, and I believe that as we do each the part that God's called us to, all of the needs will be provided, but we're not going to be pushing on this forever. But I do want to just bring to you a couple scriptural principles about giving. And today, we're, we're going to be getting into that. And the heartbeat of giving, the heartbeat of what we're doing, I, I think gets wrapped up into this idea of legacy. Another way to talk about legacy is legacy is not what we do for ourselves. It's what we do for future generations. When we talk about legacy, it's not just about the comfort or the adventures that we got to go on and experience. Legacy is really about what we pass on to the people who follow us. And I think that it's incredible that, you know, every church has different generations within it. 
It, it, you know, there, there's a culture and there's a climate of each specific generation within the church. And our generation, our day right now, we get to be part of Gulfside Church that bought the land and started the building project. I believe that. I believe we're going to be able to set up a legacy that is going to get passed down and impact lives that we will never know. But in order to do that, it's going to take each one of us doing our part. But I want to, I want to clarify who I'm talking to because if you don't have the right foundation to hear about giving, it can, it can sound like being forced to do something that you don't want to do. And, I, and there's no force in this. There, there's no manipulation in this. In fact, we don't need your money if you're hearing this and you're feeling like, oh, they're trying to get something. No, we don't need your money. Like, God has everything that we need. We are not dependent upon any one person, and we're not dependent upon any one person feeling like they're doing the church a favor. That's not what this is about. This is about the church rising up to pursue the calling that God has given us as a local body. And specifically within the church, these are just some core foundations of who we are. First of all, we are all sinners, we all have sinned, we all are imperfect, and if you're not too familiar with that language and what that means, you know in your head and in your heart that there have been times where you knew the right thing to do and you did not do it. That's one way to understand what sin is. Sin is specifically an archery term in scripture. It describes the perfect bullseye and anything off of that perfect bullseye is sin. Missing the mark of how we're supposed to live is sin. Scripture says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so when we're here, there's grace for everyone because we understand that we all need grace. And that grace is found in the person of Jesus Christ, the only person who ever lived a sinless life. So that when he died on the cross, he was paying the penalty for sin that you owed and the penalty for sin that I owed. And so we find grace because of Jesus. It is offered to us because of what he did. And I say offered because it's a gift that you must receive. And when you receive that gift of forgiveness that's found in Christ, it's not just the fact that your sins have been wiped clean. It's that he begins to pour in and impart a love and a peace and a joy that is stronger and greater than anything the world has to offer. And when someone believes that they're a sinner, knows and has received the gift of salvation and new life in Jesus Christ, it creates in them a desire for that joy to be experienced by those around them. There's this pressure, this compulsion, this movement of the Spirit of God within us that says, my city, my family, my friends, even my enemies, I want them to know this love that's only found in Him. Whatever it takes, whatever I have to go through. And to those people that understand that, here's the calling about giving. Giving, giving it's, a, it's this faith experience, and I want to tell you, it's a faith experience because at least with me individually, I came from a single mother household. I had to save to get any little thing that I wanted. My mom was amazing. She would, she would break her back to give us the things that we wanted, but I learned to save, and I learned that if I did not take care of my stuff, I could not replace my stuff, and so I, I was very much like pinch every penny. And giving was hard for me because there was a fear of, well, what if I don't have enough if I give? And God had to draw out of me to teach me generosity, these steps of faith to begin to give and trust that he would provide. And when we think of, okay, well, what is the opposite of fear? My pastor, Pastor Greg Paris, he says it this way. He says the opposite of fear in giving is not courage in giving. It's actually joy in giving. 
Because those are the two ends of the spectrum for the, the Christian. They either are possessed by fear in giving and they don't do it, but the opposite side is actually joy. It's not just a willingness to do it, but the place that God wants us to arrive to is a place where we experience joy because our faith lines up with our reason to understand that our true treasure is in heaven, not on earth. That what I store up in heaven matters more than what I have stored up here. Matthew chapter six, Jesus is teaching and speaking about it and speaking about where our treasure is. And he says, don't store up your treasures here on earth where they can be stolen, where they can rust, where moths can eat them and and things that are disposable. Don't store up your treasures here, but store them up in heaven. Look, there is a reality that what we do here on earth, it matters for all of eternity. And there will come a day where your life here on earth ends and you will enter into eternity and Jesus will lay bare before you the things that you've done, the way that you've invested yourself, your time, your resources, and he will show you what you've done for the kingdom and what you have done with impure motives or destructive motives. And those things will be burned away, but what you did for the kingdom will remain. And there will be a moment of stark reality of where we kept our treasure. I think I've shared this story before, but it amuses me so much, I'll share it again. There there was a couple who got married, and and they fell in love. And as they started their life together, her husband fell in love a second time. Not with another woman, but with his job. Not really with his job, but with his finances. And so he worked and he worked, 80-hour weeks, saving every penny, spending almost nothing, never taking her on vacations, just continually controlling and being a miser about every aspect of their life. For decades, this went on. As he got into his 50s, his health started to fail because all he was concerned with and consumed with was the treasures that he stored up here on earth. As signs of failing health began to plague his body, he didn't care. He wouldn't miss a day of work to go to the doctor. It continued on until the point where he had a heart attack and he was laying in his deathbed. In the hospital, he reached and he didn't grab his wife by the hand, but he grabbed her by the wrist and firmly looked her in the eyes and said, all of my money, every last cent, when I die, I want you to bury it with me. She looked at him in the eye and said, yes, dear. At the funeral, as there's only four or five people gathered because he hadn't really had acquaintances and friendships, the few that were there were there to support her. She placed a large box in his extra long casket before it closed, a space that was designed for it. They closed it. They lowered it into the ground, covered it with dirt. Her sister walked over to incensed, I can't believe that you honored his wish in that. You deserve that money for all that you went through. She said, well, he worked hard for that money. It was all that he cared about, and he deserves it if he can find a place to cash that check. (laughs) Right? You can't take it with you, can you? You can't take it with you. But you can send it ahead of you. The resources that we have, we need to use them with the time that we have to make a difference in the people's lives that are around us right now because we can store up treasure in heaven with the way that we live right now, with the way that we give right now. We can make an impact within our city that will make a difference forever. Otherwise, the things that we have will just pass on and be consumed by someone else. 
We need to make a decision in the way that we live our life. We're going to intentionally live and store up treasures in heaven. And there is this real fear that so many people have to get over to begin to enter into giving, to begin to enter into trusting God in that area. And there's a willingness that we have to wrestle with. And I want to encourage you. You can trust God with forgiving your sins. He says, as far as the east is from the west is, I'll get rid of your sins. You will be forgiven. You don't have to try to pay for them on your own anymore. You can trust God for healing in your body. He, he will provide and he will heal and he will work in your life. You can trust him with, with your heart and healing damage that has been done there. He is faithful. He will provide. And just like he's faithful in all of the areas of your life, you can trust him in the area of finances as well. There's so many people who get just tripped up in that one area. Of God, I'll give you everything except my checkbook. And it, we know that in our head that doesn't make sense to live that way. But Here's one of the things. When, when we live that way, we miss out on the experience of joy, of generosity that he's designed us to feel. Today we're going to look at a passage that's from 1 Chronicles uh, chapter 29. And the context of what we're coming into, King David is having a moment where he looks around and he says, I live in a palace. I live in an incredible house that is built and established, but right now there is no house for the Lord. There is no temple, and this doesn't seem right. And so he calls the prophet Nathan to him, and he kind of lays it out there. Nathan says, yeah, that doesn't make sense. We should, we should build a temple. But then Nathan hears from God, and God says, David's not going to be the one to do it because of all the things that he's done in his life that, that, that were violent, all the war, all the blood that he shed. It's not going to be David because of what David's done. It's going to be Solomon. And so David understands and says yes, and as David's life is ending, David gives an incredible amount of his wealth to the temple. I mean, it's extravagant. And he actually announces in verse 1, he says, you know, it's my inexperienced and young son who's going to build the temple. I'm sure Solomon was very thankful for that introduction that David gave him. But as he begins to give, all, all of the officers and the people begin to give, and they give sacrificially. And it's incredible. And David begins praising God. And the, the part of the passage we're going to pick up in verse 14, he, he begins to reflect on this amazing interaction of all the people ri rising up together to give. And, and he says, but who am I? And who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you. And we have given you only what comes from your hand. We are foreigners and strangers in your sight, as were all our ancestors. Our days on earth are like a shadow without hope. Lord our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a temple for your holy name, it comes from your hand, and all of it belongs to you. Now, in this situation where they were seeking to build God's house, there was first a willingness that just stirred up in the people where they decided to be generous, but there was this reality, there's this perspective that I think is so crucial that it wasn't a pride or an ego thing. It wasn't like, look how much I can, none of that was a part of it. In fact, you can hear David's tone of his prayer, just, who are we that we get to do this? Who are we that we get to be part of the people who establish the house of the Lord? 
And I think that that, that is so important to, to look at. Okay, how, how does building the house of the Lord start? Well, it starts with a sense of humility and it starts with a personal willingness that this is what we want to do. Because when they gave here, Scripture talks and it uses different terms about finances. We, you're familiar with the word tithe and the word offering. And they're often used right next to each other. Tithe refers to 10% of what comes in that we just, the first 10% we give to the Lord. And Scripture says that's his. Like it's his, you give it to him. But above and beyond that is what's referred to as an offering. It's anything that's above the tithe. And what they were giving here, it was all offering. It was incredibly sacrificial, but there wasn't a sense of this is what I have to give. This was just what they wanted to give. And so when I talk about giving and the opportunity for us to to have land, this isn't a pressure thing. This isn't a, oh, you have to thing. This isn't scripture commands you to thing. This is if God wells up in your heart about us having a permanent location, if you ask God, should I give to this? And he says, yes. Then just live on that willingness of God, I'm gonna honor you and what you speak to my heart because I know that you are faithful. And so as you are faithful, I'll be faithful to what you speak to me to do. There's no pressure. The only pressure that I'd I'd apply to you is say, just ask God and see what he says. Because some of you guys, I know, I know a lot about your, your guys' situations from what you've shared with me. Some of you guys are in really tough times. And I anticipate that God's going to ask you to pray, ask you to serve, and that's the role right now. God has blessed some of you guys tremendously. And he's enabled you to be a blessing, and he's going to call some of you to give. And he already has, which is why we only have to raise $90,000 more before closing to get to the closing point. I mean, God is moving and, and it moves on a willingness. It's not a manipulation. It's not a force. It, it's a, God, what would you have me to do? And be faithful through that. Because, man, this is a privilege to get to build God's house. Like, who are we that we get to do this? And then the second truth of that passage that David points out, everything belongs to you. Like, you've put this in my hands for now, but I understand that what you've placed in my hands, I'm going to keep open hands because as you need to as I need to let some of the blessing that you poured into my hands pour out into someone else's hands, I know that you're going to continue to just pour in what I need. And I think that you've all probably experienced that with finances and relationships, that whatever, when God gives you something and you try to hold on to it like this, when he's told you to hold it with open hands, what ends up happening is that it gets crushed, it gets broken, and what you tried so hard to protect ends up getting lost because God says you're supposed to live with open hands, not clenched fists. And so in all areas, in relationships, in finances, we trust God. And when he says to let something go, we let it go. Because we know that he's going to provide what we need in its season. It's all his. Everything comes from you. And we have only given, and we have given you only what comes from your hand. This is why I started at the beginning of saying, is our perspective, our foundation correct for understanding giving? Because if you don't trust Christ as Savior, I don't anticipate you trusting him in the area of giving yet. But if we trust Christ as Savior, it only makes sense for our faith to permeate through every area of our lives. And if there is any boundary that you have placed in your life, then I encourage you to give Christ full authority to dictate every corner and every shadow. 
to light up every area that has been hidden in darkness. Because God has so much more for you than hiding and restrictions. Because there's joy that's to be experienced. Because, you know, that, that's how it starts. It starts with willingness and recognition that it all comes from your hands, O oh God. But then how it feels is important as well. In verse 17, and we'll put this up on the screen, it says, I know, my God, that you test the heart and are pleased with integrity. All these things I have given willingly and with honest intent. And now I have seen with joy how willingly your people who are here have given to you. Joy is just a natural reaction to generosity. And this is true because just even outside of the church, as you look across YouTube, you can find all kinds of videos of people providing for the needs of someone else, of building them a house, of providing them a meal, of buying them clothes, of giving them shoes, of helping them make a basket and a basketball. Like any sort of generosity and kindness that happens, it's like we love to see it. We love to see when someone needs a house, people come together and they buy them a house. We just don't usually like to be the one who's writing the check, right? I mean, we love to see generosity. It creates a, creates a joy within us. But it takes time and maturity for us to reach the point where we understand, okay, it's actually joyful when I get to be generous. And the reason that that is so widespread throughout every culture of the earth, that our response to seeing generosity is joy is because God has designed that within your heart. We love the feeling of generosity, but there's a fear that we have to get over to enter into actually experiencing it ourselves. And just even when I share of the progress that we've made on raising funds, it's like even if you haven't given yet, even if you're like, I'm not going to give, but it's awesome. Like there, there, there's part of you that's like, I, I love hearing that other people give. I'm going to tell you, I'm glad that you feel that joy, but there's, there's greater joy to be felt. There's a joy that's felt in giving. It's experienced. There's a joy that God has for you. And if it's your time to give, don't hesitate. You know, there's, there's another story of a miser um, that, that I'd share with you, um, Donald Rauer. He, he was another guy who kind of worked in, in middle management. And, and he worked his life and, and his perspective. And the thing that he was known for saying is there is no free lunch. Like, that's what he would tell his coworkers, And he saved every penny. He pulled himself up by his bootstraps. He lived that life, worked hard, saved, 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 and did well. And there was no room in his worldview for any sort of sharing of what he had earned. And there, there reached a point where his uncle died, and he was the sole relative. And so he inherited from his uncle $2 million. Not a bad day, right? But it came with a little bit of a twist. It said, one million dollars is for you, but the other million dollars you have to give away in 18 months. And so, very dutifully, just as he'd worked hard on all things, following the directions of his deceased uncle, he looked into some organizations and he scrutinized them, got into their books, wanted to find reasons to discredit them because he loved saying no to giving money away, but he knew he had to give it. And so almost dutifully and with a little bit of objection, he finally wrote the first check. And because he was so sour about giving, he followed up very closely and he began to see lives getting changed. And so he wrote the next check that he was required to write and he, he saw farmers being trained and had a better farm and feed their villages in Africa and, and moved in his heart. 
he, he got so active in giving this money away that he, he found himself so drawn to it, he actually took a little bit of an early retirement from his job so that he could just focus more on giving away this money. He gave the money away faster than scheduled, and then once the money was all gone, he reached a difficult decision point. What do I do now? This has been kind of fun, giving away someone else's money. It's probably more fun to give away someone else's money than your own money, I think. But the experience of being generosity had marked him so significantly, he began to replenish from his own bank accounts what had been depleted by helping other people. And even for someone who had lived a lifetime of never sharing, he experienced within himself the joy that is found in generosity. It's where he took a full retirement, he'd spend his summers overseas. Because he stepped into trying it. So my encouragement to you, and I, I've, I've said it this way before a couple different times, if you're not sure about being generous yet, just don't give here. Just give somewhere. I mean, I believe in what we're doing here. I believe in the opportunity that we've been presented. But if you're not sure, if you think that there's mixed motives... I'll give you 10 different organizations that you can give finances to. They're going to help change people's lives and it's going to help change your life if you'll finally begin to trust God in the area of generosity. I'm not concerned that you give it here. I'm concerned that you give it somewhere because you've been designed to be generous. There's a feeling that you'll know and then there's a thing that it does. It creates legacy. It changes lives for generations because this is a truth that you know. When you help a family, you don't just help them for that day, you help those children for the rest of their life. They will always draw back to the time that their communities circled around them. And when they see families as they grow up and they have the ability to meet a need, they will step into it because they know what it meant to, to them. We create legacies when we impact people right now. We break generational curses that have proceeded from generation to generation when we can bring the gospel into that household. We create legacies. Verse 18 says, Lord, the God of our fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. Do, do you see that he, he just listed out there? He's reminding the people God's faithfulness through Abraham, God's faithfulness through Isaac, God's faithfulness to Israel. Keep these desires and thoughts in the hearts of your people forever and keep their hearts loyal to you. As, we, as they were building the house of the Lord, as they were building the temple, the heartbeat was God who's been faithful through all these generations. Would you keep this on their heart forever and keep their hearts loyal to you? Would, would this just be generation after generation, create a legacy, transformed lives? Band, if you guys will make your way up here, I'm going to begin to close this out. You know, I, I can remember when my daughter Ella was born and they made us leave the hospital. And that's what it feels like with your first kid. It's like, what do you mean we have to leave? Like, we're not going to have nurses and help. Like, we're, there's not enough instruction manuals in the world to make me feel comfortable with taking this thing home yet. And that's kind of how it was. It's like this thing, like, I don't know how to, how to operate it yet. But, but as soon as you have that baby, it's like your heart's capacity to love grows in a way that you never could have prepared for. And your care for that young child and how they grow up 
I mean, it, it marks your heart in an incredible way. Uh, a- Andrew and Acacia Basic just had a baby, and, and they're walking through all that right now. And I've heard, I, I don't intend on experiencing this anytime soon, but I've heard that the same thing happens to a different level uh, when you become a grandparent, right? And there's this whole new love for this whole new generation, this heartbeat of seeing, man, and I've talked to so many grandparents that their prayer request was, I've got a child in your area and they need a church and they need God. Would you pray for them? Would you reach out to them? And some of you guys know that heartache of praying for your grandchildren. wanting to see that blessing flow into the next generation. I mean, it's happened a couple different times in the life of the church, but even just last week, I had a grandparent contact me and just say, hey, I want to let you know what a blessing your church is to my grandchild. I didn't think that they would plug into a church, but they found a home amongst your people, and it's changing their life. A heartbeat of pursuing this is that we want to see more lives transformed. We want to see more people who feel like, I don't have a church home, but I I can go there. I can be part of that there. Jesus said his purpose for the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. And that same heartbeat has to be why we want to build this house. In order to do it, we all have to do our part. And it's a small part of the whole picture. As you leave today, there's little jars that just have a little bit of the land that we're purchasing. Yes, I got a shovel and I went and dug up some dirt and I bottled it for you because I want you to place this in your house in a place where you'll see it daily to remind you to pray. Pray for provision of the needs that we have, Pray for blessing, that, that God, God will use this land to be a blessing to our city and that many hearts will come to know him because we all took our part. We all did what we were called to do. We all gave what we were called to give. And because we each did our small part, we'll have a place to build a house of worship. We'll have a place to be a permanent home for the church, a place I believe grandparents' prayers will be answered and the young generation will grow up never even questioning, does God love me? Because every day of their life that they were there, they know and they felt and they saw Christ's love on display through the church. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this opportunity. This opportunity to worship you today, this opportunity to be part of the generation that builds a church. Lord, we ask for you to speak to each one of us and tell us what our part is in this process. And as your spirit speaks to us, we don't just ask for courage, we ask for joy as we express generosity. And help us to see the spiritual fruit that is going to come and it is happening right now because of your church's obedience as your spirit leads. In Jesus' name.